connected with um, through an organization. I'll actually let her speak a bit to that. For sure. Um, and Madison, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. So what do you do? Why are you here? <laughs> so uh, I'm Madison and I am an advisor. So I deal with financial wellness. So we kind of start from the bottom up, from budgeting to building, you know, the lifestyle that you want all the way up to, you know, retirement and protecting what you've got, which is a really big part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, we met through Rotaract. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I started that club way back when. It was, I think, seven years ago now, um, which is aging me. I had just finished university, and as you know, small town, it's really hard to meet people. I mean, even worse now with the pandemic, but... Even back then, it was really hard to meet new people, and I had a business that I was trying to grow, and I absolutely love volunteer work. Um, I've just, I've always done it through high school and in university, and so I wanted to get involved again in our community and really give back, Mm -hmm. and um, I went to Rotary with... Uh, which we have two clubs here and I went to the morning club which is really great uh, when you know you've got a busy day and uh, I was chatting with Kim Rickson she's another local business owner in town here and she was like you know it's a little bit expensive to join Rotary and I wasn't in a place to do that yet quite frankly and um, so she said to me well there must be a younger version (laughs) I said, all right, let's like look into it. So anyway, she found Rotaract in Barrie. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to a meeting there and the vibe was definitely my style. Yeah, and, a little bit uh, different, eh? Yeah, it was much different. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was very similar to Rotary though in that they focus a lot of their efforts locally um, and you have control over how you spend the money and what fundraisers you do. So mm-hmm. that was really cool. And it really started Rotary originally as a way for business owners to meet other business owners. And obviously that's something Mm -hmm. that we need to do. Uh, So it was just kind of a really good fit and the camaraderie that I got with all the people in the club and the stuff that we were doing was really energizing and rewarding. And so that's kind of why we started the club and ultimately how I met you. And as like a transplant, originally Northern, Northern Ontario and then Southern Ontario and then landing here. It's tough, especially when you have young kids and you and I both have a young family and I, I wanted to commit to something and build a community, Yeah. but also kind of have control over the lever of how much my life will allow me. Both of our husbands are accountants. <laughs> yeah. We're speaking about it, and it's tax time right now, which is why it's been so hard to We're lucky us. we're here. We're <laughs> lucky we're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I need to have complete control on that lever, hence being an entrepreneur, yeah. and also then like filling that cup. And Rotaract was just such a good, good um, marriage of it. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that you started it because it was your baby. And it was. Nathaniel, yeah. the current president, actually said that. He was like, uh, he called me because I've been stepping back for sure. Um, I've just got a ton going on. And he goes, listen, I know this is your first ever baby. Yeah. So <laughs> he's like, you can be as involved or uninvolved as you want. And he was like, 
business owner. Yes, um, yeah. you have your business front in Bracebridge. Yes, we do. Um, so what you're here to talk about is kind of what your role is in pushing people towards that home ownership goal. You got it, yeah. So I will ask you first to kind of walk me through what your role is and when somebody should pick up the phone and call you. I mean, there's no time like the present. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't really matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter whether you're single or married or you have kids or you're widowed or retired. You know, everybody is looking for or should need, you know, that financial support. Um, and I'm one of the people that can do that. So I always say that, you know, when you go to call, that's a decision you're making. And if you choose to push it or not do anything about your current situation financially, that's also a decision. So both with consequences. Both with consequences. So, you know, the earlier you start, the better off you are because you're creating habits really early in your financial life, right? So if I meet you when you're 18, you know, when you're just going into university, or if I meet you when you're 22 and you've just ended university, imagine the control you would feel over your financial future that young, your because entire future, your not just financial. It's a hundred, yeah. your lifestyle goals and everything. So, yeah, the earlier the better. And it doesn't matter what you do. You know, we have doctors and lawyers and accountants. <laughs> we have, you know, self-employed small business owners. We have moms and we have kind of across the spectrum when it comes to clients. Um, so, yeah, the earlier you start, the better because we can really build your financial wellness the earlier we start that said there's never a bad time so if you're feeling like you know you're nearing your retirement you should probably get going then <laughs> also now is the time yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah we're all about you know habits creating good ones and building your financial future from the ground up so we work from your basic budget we go over that um, and then we kind of fill in the gaps. So we look at your group benefits coverage, your currently personally owned insurance. We look at, you know, what you've got for even car insurance, that kind of thing. We just see where there are gaps and who we should refer you to to fill them if that's necessary or how we can kind of rejig what you've already got going on. So part of um, your role then is like a checkup and then you'll make a plan you to achieve it. the goals that your client needs. Yeah. So that, that speaks to me because it's very um, close to my approach right. where, um, and really some people, their ideal client is somebody maybe who already has investments yeah. or somebody who already owns a home and I like control. I think you might feel the same way. <laughs> but I also like to be able to educate and make sure that uh, my clients have the right information. Absolutely. So um, then I guess I have a twofold question. One, what should I be asking at my first meeting to make sure that the professional I'm working with is aligned uh, with me? And two, what should I bring with me? Yeah. As somebody who kind of like struggles with anxiety when speaking about things I don't know about, like it's nice to have something to hold on to. So what are those things that I should bring? We meet to get to know you the very first time. So it's really simple. We just do a basic, you know, introduction. It's usually only about half an hour long and you're telling me about yourself and what your goals and your needs are. And then I 
kind of tell you about our business. So how we're structured, how we get paid, what you can expect from us. That's a really big thing for me is setting expectations. Um, I don't want you to have any surprises along the line. And that really builds trust. So for our business, it's really important for you know us to like each other. Because mm-hmm. if we don't like each other, you're probably not going to trust me. And if you don't trust me, then you're probably not going to follow you know, the plan that we put in place and you're not going to want to contact me with your updates. And, you know, that's not a really great vibe. And there's commitment on both ends, Absolutely. right? From you and from the client. Absolutely. There's, there's an expectation both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I'm keeping you on track for sure, but you're still actioning the items, right? It's like, so I'll say, oh, you know, have you done that yet? (laughs) And I'm keeping you on track. Exactly. So yeah, the first meeting, it's just to get to know you. And if we like each other, then we go to the next meeting. Uh, Usually it's four meetings total at the beginning. So it's an introduction, then an overall plan review, meaning what I found, where your gaps are, what you really need, what you don't really need, that kind of thing. And then I move into a protection planning component and an investment planning component. And then we do a review three months later and then six months after that and then annually. Um, That's not set in stone you know people contact me maybe five times in a week and some people are like I don't want to see you for a year Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know ultimately that is up to the client because they're the ones that are making the decisions Mm -hmm. I just give you know some guidance and nudges in the right direction absolutely yeah yeah. so if I'm so that then you kind of answered my both my questions with one if I'm coming in with do I need to bring anything? Can I meet you virtually also? Because I know some people are more comfortable with that. And also if you're busy, like if you're a mom, it's just, you can't so get much there. easier. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, you did ask that question. That's okay. and I missed it. That's okay. uh, yeah. So no, we do in person and we do virtual meetings. Uh, that was a really big shift due to the pandemic mm-hmm. and it ended up obviously working in, I think everybody's favor. Uh, previously we weren't actually allowed to meet people electronically because we needed wet signatures on all of our documents. Now, a lot of documents can actually be signed via e-signature, which is super useful. So that gives me the opportunity to meet you know, face-to-face or via Zoom. Um, we love it when people come into the office because, you know, it's a really personal kind of experience and, you know, you get to meet all of our staff. So that's nice too, because a big thing about our business is, you know, whether we meet in Zoom or in person for that, you know, first meeting or thereafter, I want you to understand who you're speaking to when you call. And that's a really big part of the first meeting too, is saying, you know, who am I speaking to if I'm not speaking to Madison? Mm -hmm. Um, Because my big thing is I don't want you to have to call head office. I want you to talk to somebody in our office. So one of our four staff, myself or Steve, um, who is my business partner. So that being said, um, you're, you obviously have a local presence in the community Correct. Yeah. Um, and even through your community service endeavors. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, I love that. <laughs> um, but if somebody would want to reach out to you, say out of town or out of province, are you able to work with them or refer them? How, what does that look like? So there's certain instances, yes, where I can work out of province. My business is primarily in Ontario right now. Um, that said, if you do live out of province, there are ways that we can help you. Sometimes, yeah, that does mean a referral, but we are um, able to do, for example, mutual funds in four different provinces. So it just depends. It's uh, 
you know, not a huge process for us to get licensed elsewhere. But right now, our business is definitely focused in Ontario and um, a few other provinces, and then we refer out where necessary. I'm fine with still, you know, building that relationship and creating that plan and then, you know, sending it to somebody else if you really want to work with us, which obviously I would be flattered. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, it just kind of depends on what that first or second meeting looks like. And where those gaps are because sometimes you know it might not be that you need any referrals or you might not need specific types of help so mm-hmm. cool so um definitely able to refer out and yep. get people what they need if uh, you want to contact madison then i'll leave all of her information in the show notes so that you can contact Absolutely, her, yeah. and follow her <laughs> on socials um she's really great at educating thanks um about both saving techniques and products that will help you and um, insurance and just there's a lot of of stuff <laughs> that you can go in and just kind of browse the feed and see what speaks to you. But yeah. I want to talk about um, a little education piece that you did not too long ago yeah. about the first home savings account. For sure, yeah. Um, that came out on April 1st. Uh, how is this going to help home buyers get closer to buying their home? Yeah, so this is a huge deal uh, in Canada. So it became available on April 1st of this year. And essentially it gives home buyers the opportunity to save money elsewhere for their first home. So that's really great because previously you kind of had three options. So option one was the tax-free savings account, which is a really great option still, and it you know is likely to continue to be utilized because of maximums available elsewhere, which I'll mention in a second. Um, and then you have the RRSP, so that Retirement Home Buyers Plan, which is available still. And then you had your non-registered savings, um, which is good, but there's a lot of tax implications to it, and there's not as many benefits um, from a tax per- efficiency perspective. So when we're talking about the first home savings account, it's kind of a mix between a tax-free savings account and an RRSP. Uh, So like that RRSP, you do have the benefit of the deduction at tax time, which everybody likes. Also talking to two accountants' wives. Yeah, yeah, everybody likes it. Yeah, everybody likes that. Um, So, you know, that to me is a really huge benefit of both the first Uh, home savings account and the RRSP. So that's kind of Mm. how it, it's like that one. Now, if you withdraw money from your RRSP, obviously, um, it's taxable unless you use the home buyer's plan. And that's similar to the first home savings account as well. So with your um, first home savings account and your RRSP home buyer's plan options, as long as you purchase or build a qualifying home, then you can take that money out tax-free. Now, with the first home savings account, the big difference is that you don't have to pay it back. So the RRSP home buyers plan, you do have to pay it back. Now it's over 15 years. So really, if, if I'm doing my job, you should have more than enough saved it's to a nominal <laughs> payment plan. It's a nominal payment yeah. plan, you know. So you have to pay one fifteenth of whatever your withdrawal was each year, mm-hmm. um, starting two years after you built or bought that house. So it's not huge, but it is something that you should be aware of. 
The RRSP has a maximum of $35,000 per person who's purchasing their first home. So if you're a couple, that's technically up to $70,000, which is, you know, a huge maximum. Now, with the tax-free savings account, with any account, but there are, you know, no benefits at tax time. So, you know, you've got tax free growth and you can withdraw the money tax free, which is fantastic. There is a maximum and it increases every year, but that's something to consider as well. Mm -hmm. Now with the first home savings account, the reason I say it's kind of, you know, a cross between the two of them is because you still have a maximum. So this year, for example, it's $8,000. And you do have a lifetime maximum, just like you know you would in any TFSA or RSP for the home buyer's plan mm-hmm. and the, just the maximum general contribution. <coughs> but you can withdraw the money with the same parameters you have with that RSP home buyer's plan. So you have to be a resident of Canada. You have to purchase or build a qualifying home within a year of doing the withdrawal. And you have to make sure that you plan on living in that house for at least a year. So it has to be your primary residence. So for anybody looking for an investment property, you know, live in it for a year first. Uh, So that's something to consider. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to use both programs together, what does that look like? It depends on your situation. So because of the maximums that are, you know, fairly low right now in Mm -hmm. that first home savings account, it's only the $8,000 right now. As you and I both know, that's not enough to put on a down payment on any house. (laughs) Uh, You know, be nice, but that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So we know that if you're saving for your first house, then, you know, we would want to maximize that first home savings account. That said, a lot of people already have money in an RRSP that's accessible as part of the home buyer's plan. So if you already have money in that RSP, maybe we top up through the first home savings account and we use a mix of both. You know, sometimes you don't know if you're going to want to use all of that money towards the purchase of your first home. So maybe you put some money in a tax-free savings account so that you know that it's, you know, accessible if you need it. It's not going to be taxed on withdrawal, you know, but it's still there for that first home. But you won't get dinged. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So then... Last question about this uh, first home savings account. If I don't use the money, if I don't purchase, what happens? That's a really great question. So now one thing I always point out is the account itself is not the investment. So people Mm -hmm. always assume that when you have an investment, people will say to me, you know, oh, I have mutual funds. And I say, okay, well, is it an RSP? Is it TFSA? You know, is it a non-registered account? No, no, I have mutual funds. But that's, that's not what you know I'm talking about I need to know where the money is held and that may be some misinformation it absolutely is so you know one thing I always mention is just like any other account you have the opportunity to put that money in the investment that you choose and you can choose the same investments that you would for you know a tax-free savings account or an RSP um, mostly Mm -hmm. so you do have a wide variety of options and what you choose to invest in and where you choose to get that account i always go back to choose the person you trust Mm -hmm. choose the person that you know you vibe with who you think will do a good job who has your best interests at heart choose the person and not the institution 
the person who's provided you with the most actionable information is always what I say. Yeah. If you feel clear-headed when you leave the conversation, then... You know, that's a really big thing when you're choosing the advisor that you want to work with. That's one of the major, you know, one of my big five yeah. <laughs> that you would take away. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Oh, and you did ask, too, what you can do. If you don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I don't buy a house, if I... Yeah. It, or if I buy a house and I don't use this chunk of money, what happens? Where does it go? Yeah, for sure. So you can transfer it to your RRSP. Uh, and there's no tax implications by doing that because they're both registered accounts with deductions at tax time. So you can do a direct transfer. It's called a registered transfer from your first home savings account to your RRSP, and you don't have to worry about being dinged at tax time. Mm-hmm. So it and is I available for that. I believe there is an expiry date on the FHSA. Yeah, so just like your RRSP, it has to be closed by the age of 71. So your RRSP would be transitioned to, you know, a registered retirement income fund or the like at age 71, that's very, very similar to the first home savings account. So it either has to all be withdrawn, meaning, you know, taxable because it's considered income, mm-hmm. or you have to do the transfer um, before that time. And uh, it's a little interesting to note here that originally, when this had been proposed by the government, there was a um, maximum age limit to the FHSA. Yep. And I'm which is kind of seems arbitrary considering the um, lifestyle and the price of homes. We have no idea when you're going to want to buy a house, whether, and you know, the qualifying home situation, those things that you need to make sure you consider when you're purchasing a home as a first time home buyer, you can qualify as a first time home buyer as long as you haven't owned a home in four years. Exactly. So, you know, who's to say that, you know, my kids would say, you know, my creaky grandma, um, who's to say that she doesn't want to sell her house, you know, live abroad for four years and then come back right. and hopefully, you know, look after her grandbabies. For oh, yeah. Well, reach out <laughs> like, I don't know. So, yeah. So that's just something, yeah, important to note that um, they, they did yeah. consider it. So that was a great segue because we're talking about something we'll benefit from in our later years. Mm-hmm. Um, I know something that you're really passionate about is providing your clients with protection that they need. So I want to let you speak a little bit about insurance needs and when a young person needs insurance, why they need insurance, what can they expect to qualify? Yeah, for sure. That's a really great question. So when we're looking at insurance planning, I like to, as I said, start at the ground up. So we always take a look at any group benefits that are already you know, in existence. And then we look at any other personally uh, owned insurance contracts that are in existence. And then we look at any protection that people choose to put on their credit. So things like your line of credit protection, your credit card protection, your mortgage protection, all of those things can actually be covered by a single life insurance policy. So that's something that we always look into first is how can we save you money? I mean, sometimes it's astronomical. And so we really like to make sure that we cover our bases before I you know, dive right in and recommend something. I'm a firm believer that I cannot make any recommendations until I know your whole financial situation because what if you've already got too much coverage? Mm-hmm. You know, what if the coverage isn't right for you? What if I just need to, you know, sprinkle 
do some sprinkling. You know, we look at all of those things. So when we're looking at specifically home buyers, the big things that we want to make sure are we're efficient. So generally speaking, I, you know, assess what those credit protections are. And a lot of the time we end up getting rid of them. Um, a lot of the time they're really expensive and they pay the bank, right? And that's a big thing that a lot of people don't realize. So if you were to die or become critically ill, that money that's paid out goes directly to the bank to either, in the, in the case of death, pay off you know, the debt. In the case of critical illness, not all the time, but a lot of the time, they only cover the payments on a month to month basis. So that means that if you, you know, you recover, you know, you're still, still responsible left. and you're still left for those debts. And that to me is, you know, is a big problem because you're probably not back to work full time. And if you are, you know, you probably had costs associated with that critical illness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and your spouse, if you did pass or your, you know, children or your loved ones, whoever's looking after you, or sorry, whoever you're looking after, they don't need to be, you know, debts paid off. They need to be able to continue to live. Yeah. So if for the same cost, I can get all of that taken care of, then why wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. We would package it together. Um, so a lot of the time for first, first time home buyers, what that looks like is, you know, quote unquote mortgage protection for us is life insurance. And a lot of people don't realize that it's, it's a really big misconception, um, in our industry. So mortgage protection insurance, as you know, covers your mortgage in the event of death. Um, and it's not underwritten the same way, which can cause issues. It's not, you know, not always the end of the world, but it can cause issues. So what we generally will do is if somebody is getting a mortgage, we either say to them, you know, okay, we'll sign up for the mortgage protection because it's going to take us three months potentially to get an approval because we fully underwrite it, right? So we ask you the medical questions and underwriter looks at them, decides whether there's anything else necessary. A lot of the time there's not, but if there is, then, you know, that's good for you. Better to know now. It's better to know now. And then they guarantee that coverage once you're approved, right? They can't take it away once you're approved, as long as you're paying premiums. Mm -hmm. So that's you know something really important is that instead of paying the bank i want to make sure that your family gets paid and as a mortgage broker you know that there are prepayment penalties (laughs) okay so a lot of the time if let's say somebody you know a really good example is um i have a single mom and she has two kids and we were reviewing everything that she's got and what she needs and she's buying her first house and she was like, I, you know, I, I think I need mortgage protection. I said, absolutely you do, but we're going to do it through life insurance. And, and the way that we structured it was her mortgage was only going to be at 575000 But, you know, if something happened to her, her children still needed to go to school. Her children still needed to be taken care of by somebody else, which has expenses. You know, she would still need to cover final costs of her death. You know, the government still wants their money when you die. So (laughs) we need to make sure that all of these things are taken care of. And the only really efficient way of doing that is often through an insurance contract. So we'll do, you know, a term version and then we'll do likely, you know, some permanent insurance and then we'll do either some critical illness or disability insurance to make sure that if she, if she became critically ill, 
or disabled due to injury or illness that, you know, those things are taken care of. Um, anyway, so it ended up that we did a million dollars in coverage, which sounds really big, but it's, it's not mm-hmm. because think about the cost of homes right now. Uh, so it was a million dollars in life insurance, uh, just basic term insurance, which was super cheap. And then we did a permanent contract, which we can't get into it today, but it's an investment kind of hybrid. So it has a living benefits, meaning you can actually use the cash in the policy. So it's part of her retirement plan. And then it still provided lifetime guaranteed, same cost protection. So that was important to her. And then we did critical illness. We did forego disability in her case because it was um, too much money and she had a little bit through work. So, you know, you're better off with that little bit through work versus nothing and then spending a little bit of money on that critical illness. And so that was her specific situation. But I think this brings us back to the fact that her situation doesn't look like mine and it doesn't look like yours and it doesn't look like, you know, the guy down the street. Um, what she needs is going to be very different from anybody else's. Mm-hmm. When it comes to cost, when we're talking about these different types of products, uh, because that's what they are, they're products, when we're looking at those, we need to consider which type is best. So term insurance is always your cheap and cheerful, is what I like to say. It's kind of like uh, car insurance. So I hope, you know, you pay for that term insurance until that mortgage is paid off and your kids are in school and, you know, they're self-sufficient. So let's say 20 years or so, you're going to pay for this, you know, big lump sum, million dollar term insurance contract. So we're looking at permanent insurance. I can guarantee that's going to pay out because it's permanent. As long as you keep paying premiums, it's going to pay out. Whether you die tomorrow or you die when you're 100, that money is going to the people who need it. And it's going to cover the costs that you want it to cover. Mm-hmm. And then in that case, you know, in this person's case, we ended up doing that um, hybrid you know, investment. So it's also part of her retirement plan. Um, so that was kind of also a, a little benefit. And the critical illness you can do is permanent or term, but term is cheap. So we needed to stay in budget. So we did a lump sum policy and it's, you know, just like that term 10 basic life insurance protection. so for cost yeah we it depends on your age and your health and you know a variety of factors i could go on i won't Mm -hmm. uh but you know i do have some samples and whenever clients come in for that second meeting i always have kind of price points laid out so that they know exactly what it will cost but i do have an example that i can give you if you want for an actual cost for an existing client so that you get an idea yeah um so i think that what you're saying is cost and need, those fluctuate Absolutely. regardless of the client. Absolutely. But by having these meetings set up and by really understanding their needs and by using what they already have, it's going to give them the protection, but then also the opportunity to grow. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, a lot of people forget that if you become disabled or critically ill, for example, you know, if you go back to work or if you don't, you need to retire still. Mm-hmm. You still need to retire. You're not going to work forever. Uh, it's just not. And you shouldn't. And you shouldn't. And it's yeah. not physically possible. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want to make sure that you can meet those goals even if you're critically ill, even mm-hmm. if you become disabled. Um, so, yeah, that's why we kind of go with this financial wellness approach opposed to the just, okay, you need insurance. Mm-hmm. Filling a need, like putting a Band-Aid as opposed to getting to the root cause and supporting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've got it. So, you know, I recently did a 500, I think this was yesterday, the day before, I did a quote for a 
29 year old and it was for $750,000 of coverage and you know her age and health and other factors influenced it but she ended up being I think it was uh, $21 a month it might have been 18 like come on I know it's dirt cheap yeah it's dirt cheap now the permanent protection that we chose ended up being about $78 a month and it was for you know $50,000 of coverage Okay, Mm -hmm. but that's that hybrid. So Mm -hmm. she's getting cash and it's huge. It's going to be part of her retirement income. So it's like, okay, well, I can just, you know, categorize that differently Mm -hmm. than I would categorize basic term insurance. So whatever your strongest need, if it is cost, if it is you need to save money, then there's definitely a solution. Absolutely. And one thing I always recommend is if you're looking at a home, get insurance first. Then I'm going to say, this is kind of what you're looking for in your range for your mortgage. And then I'm going to send them to a mortgage broker and I'm going to say, okay, Brianna's going to actually look after you, tell you exactly how much you can afford, you know, and what you'll get approved for. And we can utilize those two numbers together to decide where you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. But once we have that number, it doesn't matter where your mortgage actually ends up from the insurance perspective. I mean, as long as it's within a couple hundred thousand dollars, the cost of the insurance is negligible. Mm-hmm. So, and if get an enforce. If you have all of these costs figured out yep. beforehand, then it not only saves you time, it not only strengthens your offer, but yep. then you can also plan from a place of knowing yep. and a place from understanding and actually having a relationship with your financial budget, which is if you've been listening to this podcast, you know yeah. that. <laughs> A pre-approval is only a maximum ceiling amount yep. that you can purchase at. It's not actually what you can afford. And Thank that you. is where a Thank lot of people, you. right? That's where a lot of people get into trouble. And Madison, um, quick fact, has a background in mortgages. So she also <laughs> understands that, yeah. um, that side as well. But And I really think that especially as prices continue to rise and multiple offers come back into the picture and conditions of financing go out the window, yeah. that's all well and fine. But you need to be planning from a monthly payment perspective. Absolutely. You know, that maximum mortgage could be up to 41%, you know, Uh, like it's of your income, like, Mm -hmm. and that's your gross income. And if you're a young person and if you're family planning and if you're looking at taking a maternity leave or an extended maternity leave, we need to consider these things. Or if you're self-employed, you have a fluctuating income, like there's so many things that, and we're going to talk about budgeting in another podcast, but this is a tangent. Yeah. (laughs) So Madison and I are aligned in the fact that we think um, really get all of your costs associated with insurance and homeownership kind of out of the way before you offer on the house. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be surprised either Mm -hmm. when you put that offer in. So So when I'm going to speak to an advisor, uh, what should I be asking them to make sure that they're aligned with me? Yeah, so there are five big things that I generally recommend that people look for and ask when they're looking for a financial advisor. If you haven't already noticed, you know, the first thing that I think is that you need to make sure that they are asking you a lot of questions, like a lot of questions, because they need to really dig deep. They need to know all of that information to create a really holistic program for your specific needs, especially since your needs are not gonna be the same as your best friends or your brothers or whoever else is in your life, right? So we wanna make sure that we're asking all of those questions, so make sure that they're doing that. If they're talking a lot about themselves and you know not asking you questions about you, how can they help you? So the next thing is you know asking them how they're paid. <laughs> so, okay, so you would deal with this all the time, yeah. but how they're paid is a really big deal. If 
you know, the advisor you're going to see is evasive about how they're paid or exactly what they're paid, then this is a big red flag, you know, run, run away. (laughs) I want you to really understand exactly why I'm paid what I am. And I want you to understand how I'm paid and how your decisions affect that, right? So that's important because if my income is tied to your results, how do you feel about that? If my income is tied to your decisions, how do you feel about that? And a lot of the time it's not out of pocket. So some businesses choose to, you know, be structured like a lawyer or an accountant and they charge um, a fee per hour. But a lot of the time it's through commissions, just like it is for a mortgage broker. So, you know, your decisions ultimately determine how much I'm paid. But that brings us to our next point is you need to be provided with options. Yes. Okay. So if you go and see an advisor and, you know, they're like, okay, this is what you need. Okay. Any alternatives available, you know? And my thinking around that and why it's tied to income is because I do not believe that a client should feel like they have to choose one thing, especially when that takes away their autonomy for making a decision. So, you know, my theory is provide three options, three plans, all that work just fine, all that meet, you know, your needs. But I'll say, you know, I think this is the best option, but you still have these other two. And it's okay to ask what the compensation is associated with Absolutely. all the products. And I personally share that freely with my clients. First I think meeting. That and, and you know, there are some options, you know, in the mortgage space mm-hmm. that are going to cost you more, but it may be necessary. Yeah. But I think, uh, ask the question, if you're, if you're wondering, or if you get like an yeah. icky feeling, ask like, okay, so what's the difference in the cost associated to you or the compensation to you if I choose A versus B? That's completely okay to ask. Absolutely. Um, you know, and then the other thing when you're choosing an advisor, if you're moving into the investment space, one of the things now huge red flag is if they say they can beat the market (laughs) oh i can beat the market okay i don't know where their crystal ball came from but you know i would like to (laughs) figure out what the bank of canada is doing i would like it i would love that you know i'd love to know what's happening you know but we we really don't know Mm -hmm. so making a promise like that how could they possibly meet that Again, that goes back to that first conversation we had about setting expectations. So just keep that in mind as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last thing that I always recommend, you want to make sure that they're qualified in more than one area of expertise. And I mean licensed, because how can they create a holistic program if you know, they're only able to provide advice on one of those things. So you want to make sure that the advice that they're giving you is within their realm of expertise. So if they're providing advice on something that they're not licensed on, then maybe take a step back and think about whether that's a good decision. So just make sure that you ask the question, where does your education lie? What do you specialize in? Where can you, you know, bring knowledge or advice from? You can also ask, can you tell me about how you 
blank. Yes. Um, ask for your professionals to tell you about other clients, obviously without sharing information, but take them it's okay to want to go through the journey and to see what that looks like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, One thing before we end our podcast, that kind of just goes back to why I got into the industry. Every, you know, you have your own story about why you became a mortgage Mm -hmm. broker. And I think it really shapes the type of people we are in the jobs that we do, why we choose what we do. And I always like to tell this story to, you know, first time clients because I think it's important. So, I was a competitive dancer and my dad was usually the one that drove me every week, twice a week from here to downtown Toronto. So it's two hours down, two hours back, two hours of dancing. And so it was, you know, a six hour commitment for him twice a week. And that's substantial. So on the way there, my dad would be on the phone. And then on the way back, my dad would be on the phone. And then, you know, while I was dancing, he would be like eating dinner or going to coffee shops and like meeting people. And I'm thinking as I'm getting older, well, what do you actually do? And so one day I asked him, we were driving and he's laughing on the phone. He's having this grand old time and it's somebody he hasn't met with, but you know, he's just chatting, really just getting to know them. And I said, sounds so familiar. Oh my God. (laughs) Right. And I said to him, ah, what is it that you actually do? I don't know. And I would have been, I don't know, like 15 maybe at the time. And he goes, well, I get to know people. And I said, okay, but why? And he goes, because I need to understand them to give them advice. And I said, advice about what? (laughs) And he goes, well, I help make people's money into more money. And I thought, oh, sick. (laughs) That sounds great. I want to do that. And then he said, and I make sure that anything that they've got stays with them forever, no matter what happens. And I thought, okay, you know, and I said, okay, well, whatever. What does that mean? And he goes, I just help people. I help people make sure that, you know, they can live and retire and not worry. And I thought, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to people all day. I want to meet new people and I want to help people because that's always been important to me. I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I always knew, however cliche it sounds, I always knew I want to tell people. Mm-hmm. And seeing how much my dad loved what he did made me realize that that's something that I could do and that's something that I would enjoy. Um, and I think that that shapes really how I view this process. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, um, I thank you for sharing that story. It's beautiful that you have that, um, that viewpoint and that history. And also in entrepreneurship, which is something we chat about in this podcast, you have the power to make it look how you want. Yeah. Um, which that just gives me goosebumps that because <laughs> that freedom is kind of like the freedom that you're wanting your clients to have. Um, yeah. It with their investments and with the money that is rightfully theirs and that's going to stay with yeah, them forever, right? Yeah. So, thank you. That was a great way to end, and thank you for making this work, Madison. It I was great. It was a struggle. I know. But, um, we yeah. have a, we have valid excuses, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or at least that's what we're going to talk about.